I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Psalm 131. And as uh, we begin, I want to remind all of you, uh, ladies, all you sisters in the Lord of Club 119, uh, our Risen Hope Bible Book of the Month Club uh, that will be starting up this month. If you want to do what we talked about last week, give the Word its rightful place and watch your life fill up with grace, then you want to make sure that you are a person who is consistently reading God's Word. And we have created this Bible Book of the Month Club in order to encourage women uh, to be in daily reading of the Holy Scriptures, of the Word of God. Um, this first sign-up ends on Tuesday. You can go on our website and sign up there. And I'm wondering uh, if there may be some here, some of the ladies who haven't signed up yet um, because, well, they're wondering about child care. They're wondering about how they can get there. Husbands and fathers, listen up. If your wife wants to be a part of this, make it happen. Make it happen. Do whatever you have to take to do to free her to be involved in this. This is something you need to take initiative for. Men. This is a great Mother's Day present. All right. This is something I encourage you men to take initiative for. Lead your family, lead your wife into the green pasture of God's Word by making sure she can be a part of of this. So there's my charge to you men. Uh, and sign up. Uh, there are at least a couple dozen uh, who are already signed up. We're expecting a good deal more. Give the word its rightful place and watch your life fill up with grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is, it is sweeter than honey. To us, it is. It is most precious. It is more precious than gold. Yes, than very fine gold. It is life to us. It is joy to us. And it is so mostly, Lord, not because so much that it teaches us how to live, though it does. It is life to us and light be to us because it shows us who you are. And so, Lord, as we turn to your word now, may it be that we will see who you are and rejoice in you, our wonderful God, our wonderful Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, when we began to put this series together on the book of Psalms, I noted that this psalm, Psalm 131, has long been a source of great and deep comfort to me personally in the midst of life's trials and that because of its, uh, its imagery, because of its words, it would be a great psalm to share with you on Mother's Day. And so uh, we arranged the schedule so that Psalm 131 would fall on this Lord's Day. You mothers are heroes. Please don't hear in that just empty words. Motherhood is an amazing, astonishing display of grace and courage and endurance. 
that is truly heroic. Hardly a day goes by uh, in our world in which we are not reminded of the brokenness of home and family, the brokenness of lives, but to see those who are steadfast, to see those who are persevering, to see those who go on loving, go on serving, despite whatever may come, is, is, is heroic. And we affirm it, we praise it, we applaud it, we thank God for you moms. But we're also aware that to speak of motherhood can stir varied emotions and responses among those who hear. There are some here whose mother is not remembered fondly, whose mother may have abandoned or deserted, and so to think of motherhood is sorrow for you. There are others uh, who are not married and dearly wished that they were. There are others who are married, but perhaps are childless. There are others who have children, but perhaps have lost one or two of those children, or have seen other of their children rebel and wander far away, have seen children make heart-wrenching choices. Often, life in this world confuses us. Often, life as moms and dads confuse us. We are grieved by the mysteries of God, some of which, many of which, seem to come on us suddenly and unexpected. And this happens so very often in families. It seems like the lights go out all of a sudden. I remember years ago, Galen and I visited Sequoia National Park, and, and we visited the crystal cave that is deep in the heart of a mountain there. And while we were down deep inside this mountain, all of a sudden the lights went out. And it was dark. It was so very dark. I mean, you hear about not being able to see your hand in front of your face. You couldn't even see anything in front of your face. It was just thick darkness. It, it was dark. But there was this. They had warned us they were going to turn the lights out. And so we had had a moment or two to prepare. Because you like warnings when the lights are going to go out. When there is no warning, when it is unexpected, when there is no time to brace for it, sudden darkness, a going out of the lights can, can inspire panic, it can inspire fear, it can overwhelm us. David in Psalm 131 was in a season of darkness. The lights had gone out. We don't know what it was, but we know that it was. He was clearly in a dark place. How do we know that? Because he tells us that he had had to quiet and calm his soul. You only have to quiet and calm your soul if your soul has been in distress. He tells us that we need to hope in God. You, you only need this reminder to hope in God when you're on the verge of despair. And this, this man, David, the psalmist, had clearly had the lights go out. Something was going on in his life that had turned things dark. And he had experienced stress. He had experienced 
alarm. This goes on. It goes on in our life. It goes on in our families. It goes on with our children. It has gone on for Galen and me more times than we'd like to count. As many of you know some of the stories, you know, our Christmas Eve diagnosis of cancer for one of our children, uh, a child who ran away from home, a, a child in trouble with the law, a child who doesn't believe. These things have come suddenly and swiftly and unexpectedly into our lives. These are, these are things that have felt like we were down in a cave somewhere and suddenly, without warning, the lights went out. And I suspect that virtually every parent in this room can describe similar experience, experiences. What do you do when the lights go out? What do you do when darkness surprises you? What do you do when grief assails you? Psalm 131 is one answer to those questions. Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised to high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. This psalm is set in an interesting way at the beginning. You'll read in the heading that it is a song of ascents, a song of David. What a song of ascent was, was a song that was sung by the people of God as they were ascending the hill of the Lord to the temple to worship God. So, I have, as I thought about this, it reminded me of what goes on at Risen Hope on this street corner every Sunday morning. As people have to park all over the neighborhood, and then they walk here. It's a, it's a beautiful sight to, to stand outside and see people walking from all directions to, to not enter the house of the Lord, but to become the house of the Lord, to become the temple of God where He dwells. And they, you come from all directions. In ancient Israel, as the people came from all directions, they would sing. And so their songs would be joined together as one song as they ascended the hill of the Lord. I think we ought to try that. What do, what do you think? Shall we try that? So as soon as you get out of your car, just start singing. And then as you come near to others, just the voices will blend. And your neighbors will think you're weird. But it will be a beautiful sight and a beautiful sound. That's what happened in ancient time. The people of God coming from all directions, gathering as God's people, singing a song of ascent as they ascended the hill of the Lord to the house of God. It's, it's a gathering song. That's what Psalm 131 is. It's a coming together song. It's a song that reminded God's people back then and can remind us today as they gathered together why they were gathering together. 
It was to remind each other that whenever the lights go out and life is dark and you are confused, our hope needs to be in God alone. So you leave your home disquieted. You start toward church uneasy and in distress. But as you come together, and as Psalm 131 is sung, you're reminded we are going to be with the people of God to worship the one true God who alone is our hope. Who alone is our hope. That's what the psalm is about. We are to quiet our hearts by hoping in God. That's, that's the lesson of this psalm. That's the, the message of this psalm. We are to quiet our, hope, our, our hearts by hoping in God. Now let, let me just unpack it a little bit for you uh, by letting you know first of all from the psalmist what we are not to do when life goes dark on us. There are two or three things that David says that he had he refused to do. Number one, he refused to let his heart be lifted up. That's an image of pride. Verse one, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. You see, when affliction happens, when trial happens, pride can show up in rather strange but different ways. Pride can say, I can handle this. Pride can say, I don't need anyone's help. I don't need God. David says, I'm not letting my heart be lifted up with pride. In the midst of life's circumstances and trials, we can think in pride that we are all important and that everybody's world should revolve around us and God's world should revolve around us. In pride, we place ourselves at the center. We can think that we, in pride, we can think that we deserve better than this. The afflictions come, the trials come, and we say, I don't deserve this. God isn't being fair. Pride. We can think if we try hard enough that maybe we can figure out why these trials are coming, why the lights have gone out. And in our pride, we think we can actually discern the mind of God. And David says, I will not let my, my heart be lifted up with pride. Then he says, my eyes are not raised too high. He was careful not to lift his eyes too high. And again, what might this mean? In the midst of trials, sometimes we can lift our eyes above others and above the circumstances in a kind of haughtiness, like uh, we can do this, you know, look down on others. We can lift our eyes up to heaven. And I think this is mainly what David is getting at. We can lift our eyes up to heaven and think that somehow or other we can see right up into God's mind and we can, we can read his mind. And David says, I refuse to go there. I refuse to let my heart be lifted up with pride, my eyes be raised to high and then, too high. And then he says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. I don't occupy myself. I don't walk in things that are too great for me. I don't dwell on and dwell in things that are too deep for me, too complex for me, too mysterious for me, too divine for me. I don't occupy myself on things too marvelous for me, he says. Things literally that are too high, things that are beyond me. 
Do you have a category, friends, for things that are beyond you? And, and do you have a commitment like David had to not try to go there? To realize that there are mysteries, to realize that there are ways and doings of God that you will never figure out no matter how hard you try. We learned this in Ecclesiastes recently. The trouble with whining, remember that? Why with a why? The trouble with asking the why question and insisting on answers. We do well to remember that we are not God. And God and God alone knows and understands. Oh, the depth, Paul writes in Romans 11, oh, the depth of the wisdom, the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who can understand the mind of the Lord? Or Isaiah's words, familiar, but they need to stay with us all the time. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Friends, in the, when the lights go out, when darkness settles in, you will do no good for your soul to be trying to figure out the thoughts and the ways of God. There is mystery here that we cannot probe. There, is, there are plan, uh, plans here and thinking here and reasons here that we cannot fathom. And David says, I refuse to go there. I refuse to go there. Charles Spurgeon preacher from the 19th century, was once called, the, or many times has been called, the prince of preachers, one of the finest preachers in the history of the church. He says this, the same evil of occupying ourselves with things too marvelous for us comes up in another form when we want to know all the reasons for divine providence, why this affliction was sent and why that, why my father died, why those two children that we loved so well were taken from us, why we do not prosper in our various enterprises, why, why, why. Uh, when we begin asking why, 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 what an endless task we have set before us. If we become like a weaned child, we shall not ask why, but just believe that in our Heavenly Father's plans there is a wisdom too deep for us to fathom, a goodness veiled but certain. Oh, I love that last phrase. There is in our Heavenly Father's plans a goodness veiled, it's obscured, it's partially hidden. It's not clearly seen. It's veiled, but it's certain. It's veiled, but it's guaranteed. There is in the heart of God. There is in the plan of God. There is in the purposes of God. Goodness veiled, but certain. And David the psalmist says, in light of that, I will not let my heart 
be lifted high. I will not let my eyes be raised too high. I will not occupy myself with things too hard or too high for me to know or to understand. So what are we to do? What are we to do? The psalmist answers it. We are to quiet our hearts by hoping in God. How does the psalm go? Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted high up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O oh, Israel, O oh, people of God, O oh, church, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. More. What are we to do then when the lights go out? What are we to do when we don't have any answers? What are we to do when it's hard? What are we to do when our souls are distressed? David says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. He has taken charge, if you will, over his own soul. That's the, the strength of the language here. This is actually something he's doing to himself. He's not passive here. And we'll see this more when we get to Psalm 42 in just, just a few weeks. But just to say it here, he is not passive here. He is not acting as if he, he is just this helpless victim of what's going on around him. He says, no, I have calmed. I have quieted my soul. Folks, if you are in Christ and if you have the Holy Spirit active in your life, we, you and I need to understand this. We have in Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to take control over our emotions. We have the ability to take control over our fears, to take control over our st stress. We can calm and quiet our souls. We can still our hearts. We can move from distress, the distress of trying to figure out God in the place of darkness and sorrow. We can move from distress into peace. We can calm our souls. And how calm can we become? Well, David says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. I'm not sure. There is an image of calmness and quietness more vivid than that one. This, this is what David did. He took hold of his soul. He took hold of his emotions. And he quieted them to a place where he was like a child that had just been fully fed, well-nourished, resting against the heart of its mom. And he said, that's how my heart is in relationship with God. But how did he do that? Still got to come back to how did he do that? Well, he did it by doing what he tells us to do in verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord. By telling Israel to do that, by telling us to do that, he's really telling us what he did to get into the place of calmness and quietness before the Lord. Hope in the Lord. The Lord, this, this word is so rich. This word hope, it, it speaks of waiting. Waiting with patience. Waiting with 
patient expectancy. A sure and a certain conviction, a steadfast confidence that God would not fail. That God will be faithful. That God will not forsake us. That God is in it. God will be through it. God will be with us at the end of it. God will not fail. He says, hope in God. This is what quiets your heart. This is what stills you. This is what make, can make you like a weaned child. Hope in God. The answer to fear, the answer to anxiety is not focusing on fear and anxiety. The answer is focusing on God. There's, uh, I may have used this illustration before with some of you, and I'm getting to that point now, parenthetically, where many of you have heard me preach enough now that I can't remember which illustrations I've used before, which is a terrible place to be in as a, as a pastor. You're, this is an illustration rerun. Hope it still works. I, I remember when uh, our children were born, uh, all six of them were born natural. So Galene gave birth to all with mo no medication and all the rest. And, and she, um, she did fine. But you know how she did it? Remember the old Lamaze class, you older folks here? Lamaze, they, they, they trained you for natural childbirth by telling moms that they needed to find what they called a focal point. They needed to find something to center their attention on when the pain was severe. So it could have been a speck of dirt on the wall. It could have been a doorknob. It could be anything, but focus on something. Because in focusing on something, you're not focusing on the pain. And... It was amazing to watch this work. As the pain increased, focus increased, and she sailed through. <laughs> Not quite, but she... <laughs> but she, she was able to process the pain with a certain spirit of calm and quiet. Why? Because she was focused on something other than the pain. What's David saying to us? When the lights go out, when it's dark, when it's distressing, you need to get your eye and your thoughts and your hearts off the circumstances. Hope in God. Set your eye on God. Set your heart on the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Now, what is he saying to us? Is this just some kind of broad statement? You've got to just trust in God. No, there, there is something that is, that is packed into the word Lord that I think is important for us to catch as I move toward a close here. Notice that the word Lord is all capitalized, every letter. That's because it's, the, it's a translation of the Hebrew word Yahweh. 
which was used by God when talking to Moses back in the desert when God called Moses to deliver the people of Israel. And Moses was all scared. And, and he says, well, who am I going to tell them that who sent me to you, Israel? And, and God says, tell them Yahweh sent you. And the word means I am. Tell them I am sent you. What's that? Tell them I am. That's my name. My name is I am. There's a name. What does that mean? Just me. I exist. I just am. I I have existence in myself. I have sufficiency in myself. I have all things in myself. I am. None of you just is. You began to be. And you will be sustained only by the ongoing sustaining power of God. You don't have existence in yourself. But God is in his heavens. He has always been in his heavens. And he says, I am who I am. I just exist. And what the psalmist is saying by using this name here is that we are to hope in the one who just exists. We are to hope in the one who has all sufficiency, all existence in himself. We are to hope in the way we sang about him. He is our enough. He is our enough because he has all of everything good in his own existence. You ever, you ever relied on somebody else's sufficiency only to be disappointed? It's a, it's a perilous place to be, to rely on others. I, I remember... Appetite-wise, the first time I went to Gaylene's house, and um, and it was dinner time, and I was looking for sufficiency. I was looking for for enough, and um, sat down at the table. Understand, everybody in Gaylene's family is Gaylene-sized. All right, I think there's more volume to me than to all of them put together, and. We, we approach the table, and I'm looking at the table, nicely spread. And I'm looking at this little cereal bowl full of peas, and this little, not even full-size plate with some meat on it, and then another cereal bowl with some mashed potatoes. And I'm looking, and I'm thinking, I could eat everything, everything on this table <laughs> and still need more. I was disappointed. <laughs> I, I need to tell you, her mom never made that mistake again. All right. uh, we were always well fed there now, but it was, it was just a, the expectancy of somebody else's sufficiency being enough for you uh, is going to lead you to disappointment. But there is one who is all-sufficient, unfailingly, sufficient, who has existence in himself, who is, who just is. And all of his isness, all of his being, all of his resources are wrapped up in that title, Lord, Yahweh. And David says, that's who you hope in. That's who you hope not just some kind of glib, oh, trust God. No, trust the one who is all-sufficient.
Trust the one who just is and always will be. Trust him. In this word, in this psalm, is a call to trust in God's unfailing sufficiency. There's, there's a call to trust in God's tender affection. Notice the imagery he uses. He, he uses the imagery of a, of a mother nursing a child. And, and he says, when I, when I hope in God, I'm hoping in one who looks on me with such tender affection, who holds me with tender affection. The God we trust in, the God we hope in is, yes, this awesome I am, but he is this tenderly loving, affectionate God who cares, who cares for us. And the psalmist says, I trust, I hope in the Lord in his Unfailing sufficiency, I, I hope in the tender affection of this Lord and, and I, I hope in his sovereign deliverance and salvation. For he is Lord. He is Lord. That means he rules. He reigns. He's king. He's sovereign. He's in control. Always has been. Always will be. He is ordaining the steps that we take. He is marking the path for us. He will be with there, us through, on every step, on every path. And He will deliver. I am hoping in Him. Deliverance is coming. Salvation is on the way. You say, how do we know that? Well, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave him up for us all, Romans 8. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God has already given us his son to redeem us from our sins, to deliver us from hell, you may surely hope in him. This sovereign, saving God will be there no matter what it is. The lights can go out, they can go out. Suddenly, they can go on, out and leave you in pitch blackness, but God will still be God, and God will still be there, and God will deliver. We must hope, we must hope in His unfailing sufficiency. We must hope in His tender affection. We must hope in His sovereign deliverance and salvation. O oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. O oh, people of God, if the lights are out, somehow by faith, see that light whose name is Yahweh, whose name is Lord. See Him and focus because He will see you through. He will deliver. He will not fail. I think there are parents here. I'm sure there are parents here who live life as if it's one constant perpetual panic attack. What's going to happen next? What am I doing wrong? What if my child rebels? What if my child gets sick? What if God devastates my life with some kind of sorrow? What if, what if, what if? Hope in the Lord. Oh, parents, don't live on the edge of or in the midst of panic. Whatever happens, know that you have a God 
who is unfailingly sufficient. Know that you have a God whose affection is ever so tender, like a nursing mom. Know that you have a God who is sovereign and will deliver. I'm preaching to my own heart. number of years ago I was thinking on these things and one of my favorite texts of the whole Bible came to mind Isaiah 40 those who hope in the Lord shall renew their strength and I took my pen to paper and I summarized what was in that chapter like this who is the God in whom we hope. He is the God whose hands are never tired, whose eyes are never shut, whose will is never frustrated, whose plans are never scrapped, whose love is never quenched, whose promises are never broken, whose power is never taxed, whose mind is never surprised, whose sovereign throne is never threatened, whose knowledge is never increased, whose being is never altered, whose decrees, decisions, and judgments are never revoked, whose word has never failed, whose truth has never faltered, whose ways can never be predicted, whose paths can never be traced, whose ultimate ends and goals have never once been foiled, He is the God whom no power of heaven or demon of hell or scheme of rulers or deep, dark, sinful choice of man has ever or will ever even phase. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that pleases him. I bless the Most High and praise and honor Him who lives forever for His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are regarded as nothing and He does according to His will. Among all the hosts of heaven and inhabitants of earth, this is God. This is our God. And this God is for us. And he works all things after the counsel of his own will. And he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So, O Israel, let us Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, may it be that in ways too deep for us to express, you will write these truths upon our hearts. 
in Jesus' name. We're going to...